Well, tonight we have a privilege of baptizing three, uh, the Kenimore family, Paul, Eddie, and Bailey. They have a testimony that we give with how we like to do the baptism so that it is more than just the symbolic act. It's also an opportunity for them to share their testimony. And perhaps you haven't heard it. This gives you an opportunity to do so now. So uh, we will take them in that order first with Paul, if you'll come forward I'm 54 years old. I'm divorced and the father and the father of three. A son, Luke, and two daughters, Addie and Bailey. I have no great story. I feel I'm your classic Bible belt, garden variety sinner, drowning in sin, desperate for a savior, but completely comfortable because I was a good person, raised by good people in a good home. I grew up in Huntsville, in the Huntsville, Alabama area. My father was raised in the Church of Christ, and my mother was the daughter of a Baptist pastor. After converting my mom to the Church of Christ, my folks were married and had two children, my sister that was eight years older than I. I believe my parents raised me in the best way or the best understanding that they had of what a Christian home was to look like. We attended church three times a week, and I was sent to a Christian school. My father was a, love, was a loving and strong disciplinarian, and my mother was very nurturing. My folks taught me godly principles, but not necessarily the importance of glorifying Him. I was baptized when I was in the seventh grade, and while I did believe in God and salvation through His Son, my baptism was taking place primarily due to the fact that my cousin was being baptized, and I was very shy. This made a seemingly, seemingly inevitable action in my life, easy for me, and in turn had little to no impact. Throughout my teenage years, I would have been classified, I would not have been classified as a rebellious kid or a troublemaker, but more importantly, a chameleon. I just sort of fit in. I was already being deceived, investing in the world by submitting to it, while feeling good about myself because I wasn't creating obvious problems. This very subtle and seductive lie would have me wrapped up for years. A life of actions guided by worldly acceptance and selfish desires. Good, morale, good morality was the standard, and feeling good about myself because of selected actions and deeds while my thoughts and desires were in free fall. I attended a Christian college because that's just what you do. This experience allowed me to continue to feel comfortable. I knew I sinned, but I was a good person overall. Bible classes three times a week, chapel every day. I knew all the external expectations, and this was what I worked on. I continued to build a facade and paint it over any rust. I was in college when I met my wife-to-be, and we were married about three years later. I was not marriage material, and our relationship exhibited that. Approximately three years into our marriage, my wife and I had our first child. I was not father material either. My focus and drive was centered around financial success, worldly pleasure, being liked, but more importantly, respected. We attended church regularly, and most of our marriage, and most of our marriage, and occasionally had devotionals in our homes. But without God and no Christian leadership, things began to fall apart. The game, as I think of it, became, became, serious, uh, became more and more evident as I went on. I would play games with God, never taking Him seriously, never focusing on Him or getting to know Him, and of course, no true submission. Day by day, singing, slowly, slowly seeming to sear my conscience like the frog in the kettle, I was being cooked. 
all the natural safeguards that God gives, I was slowly destroying. Through this process of deception, I laid down a doormat for the devil to come in and go as he felt he needed. I had been in business with my father for all my married life, and as in many small businesses, it's feast or famine. In approximately 1998, we lost four contracts within a matter of months, and business was over. I was 29 and devastated, but unlike, unlike the relationship with God, this was something that actually mattered to me. This impacted my facade, and my finances would be affected. Peers' perceptions of me could change, could change and destroy my image and credibility. All the... All the while, I knew something was wrong in my life, but I was continuing to run away from God. I was confronted with the question, what am I going to do now? Music has and has always been a major part of my life, and there has always been encouragement to pursue those interests. After some discussions with friends and family, and motivated by my loss of career, money, and identity, I began working to that end. Naturally, when God is not your focus, you start a music ministry. This was a new chapter in my life, very self-focused, but deceived enough to believe I was doing something for God. The music group, I will call it, continued for about 10 years. Lots of great opportunities for spiritual growth, but little taken. I was consumed with comfort and complacency, the same thoughts. I was a good person, doing good things, producing good works. Meanwhile, my marriage was falling apart. My children had no true God, godly presence in the home, and, my, and in my arrogance, I believed it was beyond my control because, to my thinking, the problem wasn't me. In 2005, my wife and I separated. That selfish act is one my children are forced to deal with every day for the rest. That selfish act. Sorry. Beloved I'm sorry. You're I'm forced to deal with every day. But... But for me, it wasn't enough. The rite of passage I'd surrendered to the devil throughout my life had built a foundation of pride and self-righteousness that while I knew factually I had sinned, there was no real, there was little to no shame because I was so much better than other people I compared myself to. I realized I committed small sins, but at least I wasn't a really bad person. That belief would soon be tested and shattered in my own life. In 2007, the music group disbanded after I became involved in an affair. The confession of adultery in my life was one that shook my pride beyond anything I could put into words. With all the examples in my life of being forced to swallow pride, this was incomparable. There was no longer a need to paint anything for the facade was gone. I was at ground zero. And in retrospect, I believe this was God holding up a mirror so that I could see my complete inability to be good in and of myself. Hence, my comprehensive need for Him. Through this, my life began to change, but without a knowledge of Scripture, I was worshiping an idol. This God I had conjured up in my mind played well with the, played well with the Scriptures to which I was aware, while prayer and reading the Bible and other devotional books was creating a greater emotional bond, there was little theology. This lack of knowledge, understanding, and change allowed for old habits to renew the place they cultivated earlier. I began to get more comfortable spending less time in Scripture and prayer. This lifestyle of God getting my attention whatever convenient once again became the norm. When I was with the music group, I was given a book, Don't Waste Your Life, by John Piper. 
This book at the time was very impactful, albeit not enough. But my daughter Addie, at, that, at this point, had moved from Alabama, and she was beginning to embrace spiritual things. And I mentioned this book to her. She read it and expressed a level of conviction based on its message. Unbeknownst to me, she began to study the Bible and would come to me from time to time with questions. Each of these situations were pointing to the obvious. I don't really know God. Shortly thereafter, we watched a film called American Gospel. Sorry. This was a transformational experience for me. I was hearing the gospel for the first time. It began to lead me down a path of Reformed theology to which I was not aware. Addie then introduced me to John MacArthur, another game changer. I began to consume his messages, and truth began to resonate. I began to not only I began to not only know my emptiness, but to understand why it dominated my life. He, along with my daughter, led me to the scriptures. The true God, ironically, I believe God used my I'm sorry, the true God. Ironically, I believe God used my daughter to bring me to the true saving gospel of Jesus Christ Amen. so that I may realize how little he needs me, but how desperately I need him. Amen. That I must surrender all to him and be thankful for every situation I'm in, especially the difficult ones. For he is in control and I must praise him. I'm now 54 years old and a babe in Christ. I know, I know myself to not be a good person, but an evil person whose only hope is in Jesus, my Lord. Amen. Thank you for that testimony. This is Paul Kenneman, and we appreciate your testimony. And I have a question, one question that would remain. You would clasp your hands like this. My question is simply this. What is your confession, Paul Kenamore? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord indeed. And upon your confession of faith before God and the church as these witnesses, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're buried in the likeness of his death. We're raised in the likeness of his resurrection. To walk in newness of life. Amen. God bless you. We now have the daughter. This would be Addie Kenner coming. And you can set the towels and whatnot right there. Good evening. My name is Addie Kimmer. I'm 28 years old, and I grew up in a Christian home, but had no true understanding of who Christ was. Priority was always given to church attendance, not adherence to God himself. But thanks to perfect church attendance, I always believed there was a God, but I had no knowledge of the true God. My mom and my dad separated when I was young, and from there I began being raised by my mom living with her full time. In 2007, I was baptized by my grandpa, who was an elder at a church of Christ, but honestly, I had little to no understanding of what I was doing. 
I lived in a household where it was shown that we were only here to enjoy life and have as much fun as we can. That life was a mere party. God was simply a safety net from hell as long as we acknowledged his existence. As long as you made an appearance in the pew on Sundays, the rest of the week was meant for reckless fun. From early childhood, I remember my mother being unpredictable. I never knew what I would get when I woke up or came home to from school. My memories consist of a lot of yelling, strife, and confusion. No matter what I did, I felt as though I could never make her proud. She was always unfulfilled and put on her kids the fulfillment only Christ could accomplish. I was 12 years old when my parents separated. From that point on, I didn't see my dad for four years, without any choice or understanding of my own as to what was happening. I remember the fear I had on Christmas morning when my sister and I packed my older brother's belongings in garbage bags because my mom kicked him out of the house for talking to our dad. While I lived in constant, while I lived in constant fear of my mother's wrath, I longed for love and attention from my mother that eventually exhibited itself in many years of partying and drinking after high school, as I found it was the only connection I could have with her. It led me through a failed engagement, which I thank God for every day. I didn't know I had a purpose in life, and I wasn't convinced that the people closest to me even cared. Drinking allowed me to fit in while still believing I was a Christian. This lifestyle was continually encouraged by my mother, which confirmed my belief that I could have reckless fun all week and God would forgive me as long as I was in a pew on Sunday. After about six years of this behavior, I realized that no amount of partying could earn my mother's love. Longing for a parental relationship that I was denied as a child, I decided to move to Chattanooga to be with my dad. I took a temporary job at a gym where I met my first friend here who professed to be a Christian. We quickly grew close because of our mutual belief that God would not judge social drinking. She led me to a few so-called Christian yet worldly books. And for the first time, I was actually inspired to pick up a Bible and begin reading. However, I continued to be confused that although we would talk about God and engage in Bible studies, we continued to party. All the while, I was trying to hide the drinking from my dad. I started to become more and more convicted every time we would drink, and slowly God began to open my eyes. One day, my dad and I were in a bookstore when he recommended uh, Don't Waste Your Life and 50 Reasons Why Christ Died by John Piper. It was through those books and God's Word that he slowly began to transform me. For the first time in my life, I understood my fulfillment could not come from my mother's love and acceptance. I realized I did have a purpose in life, and that my only purpose was to glorify God in everything I do. After hearing of Christ dying for my sins for 25 years, and never truly knowing what that meant, I finally understood. Coming to the realization that I'm a sinner, and it's only by God's grace and mercy that I'm here, I was crushed. I became devastated by the conviction of my former life, and I then became passionate about learning of Christ and began having new desires and affections. 
and I want to be baptized to publicly proclaim that he is Lord. Through only his grace and his mercy alone, he saved a wretched sinner like me. Thank you for that testimony, Abby. We have one more question for you. What is your profession of faith? Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord indeed. Addie, upon your profession of faith is Jesus Christ is Lord. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen. Amen. We have one more testimony and profession of faith. It would be Bailey Kenmore, if you'll come, please. raised in your typical American Christian home. My dad was in music ministry, my mom led women's retreats, and church attendance was of the utmost priority. Yet, somehow, I never heard the gospel. I spent my childhood hearing about God, but I was never made aware of my own sinful nature. We'd come home from church and live a lifestyle that was in direct opposition to God's commands. This led to confusion and unrestricted sin for most of my life. My early childhood memories consist of a lot of fighting, yelling, and instability between church services. When I was eight years old, my mom began confiding in me about the marriage problems between her and my dad. The stories she shared with me led to severed trust in my dad, a broken relationship, and over four years of no contact with him. Maybe even worse, though, this led me to believe I was an exceptionally good person. As my mom's confidant, therapist, best friend, and essentially her God, I was exalted higher than any child should ever be. Filling this role for my mom told me that my opinion, as a child, was as important and credible as that of an adult, and that I needed to be strong, independent, and not rely on anyone, because I was self-sufficient and in control of my own life. I spent 20 plus years doing everything I could to live up to society's standards. I worked really hard in school because I needed to reach a certain level of worldly success, which included a scholarship, a full scholarship to the most popular college, the best, the best paying job with a well-known company. I never realized that hard work was a command from God for His glory. I worked constantly to add accolades to my list of accomplishments so I could boast in my own glory. My years of faithful church attendance had heard that Christ died for my sins, and because of that, I was free from bondage. But I never knew what that meant. What bondage? I was a good person. I looked at those around me and thought to myself, I'm not doing what they're doing, so I must be okay. I never compared myself to Christ. He wasn't my standard. I was baptized with my grandpa when I was 12 years old, with no prior explanation of what it meant. 
I claimed Christ as Lord at the time, but I had no idea the weightiness of my statement. There was no inward change to accompany my outward expression. Throughout college, I dabbled in heavy drinking, partying, and attended charismatic prosperity churches where the music oftentimes praised me more than God. The pastor would use a few scriptures to support his inspirational story. Women had leadership roles. Topics such as sin, hell, and election were never touched. This easily fit into my life of partying because it was a weekly reminder that even with the drinking, I was enough for God, and He would love and accept me as I was. It wasn't until after college when life began to settle down that I picked up a so-called Christian book about self-love. While the book was completely wrong in theology, doctrine, and the gospel, it did lead me to pick up the Bible and read it for myself for the first time in years. My sister was on a similar path, though thankfully a few steps ahead of me, and shortly after, she introduced me to the film American Gospel. It absolutely broke me. It opened opened my eyes to the heresy of the charismatic movement, which I had been so engulfed. I looked around and saw that every single thing in my life was rooted in sin, even my so-called worship of God. I spent so much time seeking the benefits of Christianity and the gospel with no willing sacrifice of my own. God began to expose the sin in my life and call me to repentance, and my desires began to change. My college friendships and familial relationships that had been built on partying started to fall apart. My desire to fit in was overpowered by the desire to please God. My relationship with my dad began to flourish for the first time in my life. My friendship with my sister finally moved beyond our earthly hobbies. Our long-distance relationships were nourished with long text messages and phone calls summing up John MacArthur messages (laughs) through which my knowledge of Christ and of myself, my sinful nature, continued to grow. I was broken under the conviction that I'd spent so many years creating God in my own image and completely overlooking the message of the gospel, that all of sin falls short of the glory of God. But only through faith in Christ's redeeming work on the cross, we may have a chance of eternal glory. I never understood or was willing to admit how deep the evil inside of me runs. I'm now confronted every day with my ongoing sin and reminded how badly I need a Savior. Broken by humility, thinking that God saw fit to save a reckless sinner like me, and that in so doing, He restored my relationship with my earthly father and sister and led us all to Grace Reformed Baptist Church. Grateful for Pastor Wayne, the elders and the members for the biblical teaching, fellowship, and lifestyle that's modeled here. And I'm here today to publicly confess my belief that Jesus Christ is Lord. Betty, thank you for that testimony. We have a, a confession of faith. What is your confession of faith? Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord indeed. Based on your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the whole, in the name of the Holy Spirit. We're buried in the likeness of Jesus' death, and we're raised in the likeness of his resurrection.
Let's say a word of prayer, and then we'll invite Jerry to come back to sing some hymns while we wait for them to prepare themselves so that we can then receive communion together as the family of God. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for this time together. What an incredible testimony from, from darkness to light. I pray that this testimony will continue to go forward and to encourage many others, many others to trust you, to believe that those that are among us, that are even hearing their voice, that may have wayward family members or children, I pray that indeed we would trust that you are the God of redemption and God of glory. And we pray that your name would be exalted and lifted up. I pray that you will bring many sons and daughters to indeed confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And thank you for the reminder, again, of our brother and sisters here, testifying to that great truth that indeed Jesus Christ is Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and turn to number 96 in our hymnal. Number 96, great as I face you.
two elements, of course, right? The bread and the cup. The bread represents the life of Christ. Don't forget, Christ lived his perfect life. Thank you for your testimony, Kenneth. Each of you recognizing, though externally, you may, people may have thought you lived a perfect, righteous life. But internally, you know, and so does everybody else. We know we don't measure up to the standard who is Christ. The good news, Christ lives his perfect, absolute life for you. So if you were to stand before the King of glory, by what merit would you enter his presence? The perfection of Christ. And Jesus has called you then and us as the church together as we gather together to express this very confession that Jesus Christ, the perfection in him, we do uh, acknowledge and receive the forgiveness of sin and his perfection of life in our as our merit before God. Receive this in remembrance of Christ. One more element, of course, is the cup. It's, it's the fruit of the vine. It, it represents the blood of Christ. This would be necessary, as I've said on many occasions, because, and in time, you may be wrapped with the thoughts that you cannot go back and fix all the problems that you caused. The good news is we all can't do it either, and we're not expected to, because there is one who did. He actually paid the penalty. The penalty has been paid in full. This is a unique uh, experience, if you will, that isn't done anywhere else. Even if somebody paid your debt off, that would be their money paying the debt. God put your actual sins on the body of Christ. He actually died and bled and suffered all that you would be otherwise do. So that in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation in him. This is unbelievable, isn't it? No condemnation in Christ. No guilt. So, when the accuser tells you, you should be guilty for what you didn't do, or what you should have done, you say, that's absolutely right. And I should pay the penalty. The wages of sin is death. Christ died for my sin. Receive this in remembrance of him. Andy will help you collect some of these cups and trays you like easier. The, the church goes out then traditionally singing a hymn because this is what the disciples did as they were dismissed. As we dismiss from here, we do have a fellowship hall and a meeting we're going to go to, but I think we should dismiss in, in a song and a hymn as well. One that we perhaps can sing right here together as the church. Amazing grace. If you sung down the before, let's sing that together.
coming tonight. We will have a brief members meeting. There's some snacks over in the fellowship hall.